This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 2? You know, I don't know... uh, how many, I don't, so we have a lot of recent transplants from different parts, West Coast, right? And by the way, we're glad you're here. Those people sneering at you at Publix, don't, 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 you know what I mean? We, we're glad that you're here. We, we need more courageous voices of truth in our community, and so we're glad you're here. But what I want to help you with is that uh, in California, probably, when you go to a wedding or a Christian event, uh, wine is probably an important part of that event or whatever. But in, in the South, I want to help you out. The most important um, item at a wedding or a Christ, Christian event, especially especially in a church in the South, is not wine. It's, it's ranch dressing. Right, and nobody probably covered that with you. That's totally, you know, now you know. You know, we're in John 2, and in John 2, Jesus is at a wedding, and they've run out of wine. Now, look, I don't know why Jesus chose the, the specific time in history. There's lots of reasons, right? But, you know, the fact that he chose to come at a time when there was no ranch dressing, that shows a, an enormous amount of sacrifice on his part, right? And so, uh, it was a few years ago, actually, in Tulsa, Oklahoma... I was working at a restaurant on Memorial Boulevard, and we were, here's the thing about Tulsa. Uh, They got a lot of big churches, and they're not afraid to throw together a catering for all of them. And so this restaurant I was at, uh, we were doing a catering at a a church called Grace on uh, Garnett Road, and uh, I've got probably the most important job of the evening which is now I'm in charge of getting the ranch dressing to the catering. Not all heroes wear capes, right? So I've, I've got my little Mazda B2000 pickup. I've got uh, what's called solar air conditioning, which is basically I didn't have air conditioning, so I had the, the windows down and the back slider open, which creates, you know what I mean? More of a convection oven, to be honest. Like, but like, throw some tots up, it's like, you know, anyway. Um, so I'm driving down uh, Garnett Road, which is our version of like Lewisburg Pike, and I'm, you know, moving with purpose and urgency, and I'm, uh, I'm driving, and by the way, this, I wasn't distracted driving, there were no cell phones, I got like a stick shift, whatever, and this guy stops right in front of me. Now, I've got 30 gallons in a plastic barrel of ranch dressing in the back of my pickup, if you missed that, 30 gallons of ranch dressing. There was a large Christian event, about 100 people, because that's how much ranch dressing it takes for 100 people. <laughs> no, it was, it was a lot bigger than that. And let me tell you what, you show up at that event without ranch dressing, they'll burn the place down. You, like Thousand Island dressing, are you kidding me? What are you going to dip your chicken strips in, right? So this is an important moment for me. I'm on mission, and this guy stops, and I'm, you know, I'm, it's squealing, and I'm like, and it just literally smashes right into the back end of this guy's truck. At which point, I am now covered in ranch dressing in through my window. The top of my truck is covered in ranch dressing, as is the back of the car that I've smashed into. And the very confused guy who is now cussing me out because of my ranch dressing accident. 
And I want you to know, look, I don't want to brag. You know what I mean? But I, was, I wasn't worried about my safety. I wasn't worried about the safety of this guy who's cussing even more. I'm worried about the ranch dressing. How are we going to save this event? There's nobody there that can turn water into ranch dressing. I'm not looking for an award. I'm not looking for a purple heart. But we got the ranch dressing there that day and saved the event. Thank you. You see why my wife married me? We were just dating probably around then, and she's like, man, anybody that could have the courage to get the ranch dressing to the Christian event is, God, that's somebody I want to spend the rest of my life with. So in John 2, <laughs> in fairness, you probably should have thought that through <laughs> a, little, a little bit more. Um, in John chapter 2, Jesus is about to turn some water into wine. This is his first miracle ever, okay? He is, he is about to reveal himself in a way that is very specific and very unique. Now, he didn't choose to walk on water, right, to, for this first miracle. He didn't choose to feed 5,000 hungry people. He chose to basically, uh, for, a group, for a party that ran out of wine before they ran out of party, to, to get, get the party to the end, to the finish line. That was the miracle he chose. And here's what is incredible about it. He didn't just do a miracle. It says here, John chapter 2, in verse 11 through 12, that this was the first, what, uh, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. This was the first miracle, and he did this as a sign to reveal his glory. What was it about turning water into wine that was way more than just a miracle? It was actually a sign of his glory. That's what we're going to talk about today, and how that even in our lives, the signs that Jesus wants to do in our lives are not just about a miracle, but a sign to reveal his glory in the earth. So let's pray as we approach God's word. Heavenly Father... Thank you so much for your goodness. And thanks for getting the Carnales home. Their little United States music mission. God's out there doing amazing things and get them back here. We're so happy. Father, thank you for the amazing brothers and sisters that are represented in this room. Uh, Lord, for our brothers and sisters across the street at Graceland Assembly of God, you are doing amazing and wonderful and new things there with Nathan and his whole crew. We're so grateful for them, for Stonebridge Bible Church, for Mike, for Cindy Easley. Lord, for Pastor Tom down at Thompson Station Church. Lord, this week, just knowing how amazing and how faithful they have been and continue to be. We are honored to get to be one church among many that is lifting up your name in this community. We're so grateful to get to be a part of that. Now we ask, Jesus, you are the pastor of this church. It is your word that we are approaching, and I pray that you, Lord, would speak to us in very specific and wonderful ways in your name. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. John Piper said that at any given moment, God is doing about 10,000 things, and you're going to be lucky if you're aware of three of them. 
I can't think of a better picture of what God was doing in this John chapter two because Mary thinks we're out of wine, we're gonna make more wine and he was doing making wine and probably about 10,000 more things, one of which was using this to reveal his glory. That's what's happening here. They're not just saved by the water from the well, right? They're filling up this with like a well, filling up water into these stone jars. They're not just saved by a well, they're saved by the well. You're welcome. Thank you. If you're in your late 30s, early 40s, you're like, oh, I know what he's talking about. And for the rest of y'all, I'm with you. I didn't much care for it either. But anyway... (laughs) They weren't saved by a well, but the well, okay? Not just by a well of water that made wine, but a well of water that brought life from Jesus. That's what's happening. And what I love about this is that, again, Mary's just praying, Jesus, here's the problem we have. Jesus solves the problem right in front of them while solving a whole bunch of more problems that they didn't even know existed. And there's this instructive way to pray here. Look, I'm not going to write the three easy steps to praying and revealing glory. If God meant the Bible, meant for us to have books like that, I think he probably would have written the Bible like that. But be that as it may, there's like a roadmap of prayer here that we could follow. It's what Mary did. It's descriptive. Maybe it's prescriptive. Because what she did was really simple. She involved Jesus in the problem. She trusted Jesus with the solution, and then she watched Jesus do it. That's pretty simple, isn't it? And it's literally what she did. She involved Jesus. So he comes, you know, she comes up and says, hey, look, Jesus, we're out of wine, okay? We've run out of wine before we've run out of party. And she involves Jesus. And I say involves because what is Jesus' response? Woman, why do you involve me? You see what I'm saying? You th- at my house, cover, cover your ears, Shannon. Um, at my house, there's moments where I'm sitting there minding my own business in my chair, and the filter's out upstairs. And I'm thinking, woman, why do you involve me? And by the way, if y'all, you know, if you've been around the church and you see my wife coming with a clipboard and stuff to do, it's every man for himself. Like we, (laughs) she got stuff to do. She has this gift of being able to see what needs to get done. I have the gift of avoiding those things that need to get done. (laughs) It's a spiritual gift. That is not what's happening here. If I read that tone into it, that's kind of funny and whatever. But that's not, that's not consistent with my character? Yes. Not consistent with the character of Jesus. So when he's saying, why do you involve me? I actually, that's just a, like at face value, that's a legitimate question. Why do you involve me? Not, not what do you want from me, but why, what, what do you want with me? Like why do you involve me? And a, and a probably equally good question is, why wouldn't we involve Jesus? Why, why wouldn't we involve Jesus with every part of our lives? Why wouldn't we involve him 
if we are in financial need? Why wouldn't we involve him if we are struggling with our, our children or our, our decisions that we have in front of us? Like, why wouldn't we? And by the way, there's a thousand answers for that. I don't know if he's listening. I don't want to bother him. Or what if he doesn't say yes? What if, or, or I got this one. Scoot over, Holy Spirit. I'll figure this one out. A hundred reasons why we don't involve Jesus. But involving Jesus was the first thing that Mary did. And I think it's wisdom for us that no matter whether it's our business, our lives, our personal, whatever, to involve Jesus. And look how she involves him. This is super instructive for me. She didn't come up and say, we're out of wine, Jesus. I want you to fill up some stone jars and fill it and make wine out of water. She didn't say, hey, I want you to run down to Trader Joe's and buy a case of two-buck chuck. She just told him the problem and trusted him with the solution. Be careful the way that we pray. And by the way, just so you know, I, and I believe this, by the way, the Bible in Revelation speaks of prayer as an incense coming up before the throne. There's something to that about how the Holy Spirit praying on our behalf, it's how he just sweetens up my stinky prayers. Darren's saying this, God, but here's what he actually means. There's something about the way that God allows us to pray dumb stuff. Like I think he'd rather me pray something dumb and then sweeten it up with incense than not pray anything at all. But the longer you serve Jesus, the more you just involve him and tell him the problem and then leave the problem solving up to Jesus because trusting Jesus is what Mary did. She just trusted him. And how do we know she trusted him? Because what's the first thing she said? Do whatever he says. I'm involving Jesus. Why do you involve me? I love you. I trust you. I'm be obedient to you. She trusted him. It's a big deal, right? Because sometimes we get kind of frustrated with Jesus because I've, I've prayed this thing very specifically for this very specific answer. And there's a theology that says you have to be specific in your prayers so that God can answer them specifically. Now, is that a sinful way to pray? No. But is it plausible that God knows things that you don't know, that he sees things you can't see, which means that he might want to answer in a way that you don't know because he's God. Isn't that plausible? And I say that because sometimes you get into that moment of like, I'm just so frustrated because I've asked God for this and it's not happening and I feel like I got a word from the Lord and, it, and it's not here. And sometimes your frustration is more because you're asking God to keep a promise he didn't make than it is that he's actually not answering your prayer. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Ethan's 16. I, he probably has a running list somewhere of things that I've said no to. But when you're, you know, when you're a kid especially, there's things as a father that I know that you don't know that it's okay that it, the answer is no. Now, you can kick and scream. I still love him. Ethan was actually good. He was never a kicker and a screamer, so that was a good part of our childhood. That's our relationship with the Father. We involve him and then just trust him. And trusting him is a big deal because uh, like I, I think back to 2014, we were meeting at Independence High School. I don't know how many of y'all were here in those days. There was about 180 total of us. 
And in, in, in Williamson County, you can only be in a high school as a church for five years. And after five years, you've got to be out. It's called the Fellowship Bible Church Rule because they were in like for like 12 years or something in Franklin. So they, that's actually really funny and it's really true. But we're running out of runway. We've given away at that point $1.5 million, our little 180 people. We'd built schools in West Africa and East Africa. And all I knew was that we had been irresponsibly generous as a church. And if that was the way we were going to fail, I was actually kind of okay with it. But my prayers back then was, God, please, would you get us a really good deal on a building? God, would you provide for us a place to meet? God, would you show us what you want us to do? Because I, I knew what he didn't want us to do. He didn't want us to spend $20,000 a month to rent a retail space, spend a half of a million dollars to renovate it, something we don't even own, so that when the lease is up in five years, now we have to, we're, we're completely helpless. They can raise the rent as much as they want because we're helpless. I just didn't feel any peace about that. Nothing wrong with churches that do it. I just knew that wasn't what we were supposed to do because meanwhile, we had about 400 kids in Haiti that needed me to not to be an idiot. We prayed, we looked, we sought advice. In fact, one of the options, I was praying for all the options, one of the options was, what if we just change the name of the church, start a new one, reapply at Williamson County Schools, and move back in again? <laughs> Lawyer was like, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> a month later, fair, full disclosure, a month later, he's like, you know, I've been thinking about it, that's actually not a bad idea. If you, if you, don't, if you don't care about the branding, you know? <laughs> 12 years ago, a friend of mine named Sam Childers, a machine gun preacher from East Africa, had spoke at Conduit, and we had blessed him radically that Sunday, and on the way to the airport, and Benny and I ran into uh, to Sam uh, a couple years ago, just in the middle of nowhere, Africa, I'm like, Sam, what are you doing here? Um, on the way to the airport, Sam's like, dude, I'm, you, you're generous, man, this, this thing that you guys are doing at your church, I'm prophesying, man, God's going to give you a building. Okay? That was the last time I thought about that conversation. Until I tell our people at the church, I'm, the prayer that I'm praying at that point, I didn't know anything about this, but the prayer that I'm praying is, God, whatever it is you want us to do, I'm okay with it. If we fail, I'm okay to fail like this. Maybe God wants us just 180 people to just spread out and go be conduits at other church. What's wrong with that? What if he wants us to go be house churches? I, everything was on the table except the thing God did, which is give us this building, this property at 1642 Lewisburg Pike, one exit from where we were meeting. We moved in like three months later, completely debt-free, in a 13,000-square-foot building because we left the choice up to Jesus. We just trusted him. My point is, I did not pray that specifically. God has a way of, of, of answering prayers with the answer that I would ask him for if I knew everything he knows. That's what Mary said here, I just trust you. And what did he ask them to do? Because <laughs> this is what she watched him do. Like, fill up these six stone jars full of water. They filled it to the brim. I grew up Pentecostal. We loved that part, the brim. You know what I'm saying? My fellow Pentecostals, fill it to the brim. We want everything God has for us. <laughs> and she watched Jesus do the one thing that I'm guessing she probably didn't think he was going to do, which is 
fill up six stone jars, ceremonial washing jars for purifying in the Jewish tradition. This water is defiling these jars. And then he watches, she watches as he then takes this, th- these six stone jars and, and, and takes it to the master of, of the ceremony and here's, the, here's this water and it's wine and not only is it wine, it's like awesome wine. It's like the best wine. By trusting Jesus, she involves Jesus, right? She trusts him and then she just watches Jesus do what he did, which is way better than probably what Mary had in her mind. Now, in your life, in my life, there is something about the way that we pray, the way that we get to, it's, like, it's not that we should, I don't even like the word should because it's such shaming language. But we get to. The invitation to involve Jesus in the most minute details of our life, that we're out of wine at the wedding, involving him in it, why do you involve me in it? Because I love you, because I trust you. You got my best interests in mind. Now, why are you involving me? Because I want to get something out of you. Why am I involving you? Because I want you to make my life better. Those are not good reasons to involve Jesus because that's a negotiation that is not an obedience. But the following of Jesus, he moved on Mary's behalf. By the way, don't you love that nobody at the wedding even knew he did it? In fact, the only ones who knew were the servants and the disciples. It wasn't the powerful. It wasn't the elite. It wasn't the ones that had the biggest voices. It was the servants who probably nobody would have believed. You go home, you're never going to believe what I saw. How cool is it that he would choose people like that to reveal his glory? Now, what did he reveal? How was it that he revealed his glory in this? First of all, know this, his glory. We've, we've talked about this months ago, but the glory of God, the doxa in the Hebrew, the kavod, the weight, the purpose, the heft, the per- like this is why he came, his glory. To reveal his glory. When Mary says we're out of wine, the very first words Jesus says is, it's not my hour. John 12, John 13, and John 17, and probably more. When Jesus referred to his hour, it was about his death. Now, I don't know that she knew that in that moment. They sure knew it in hindsight. My hour has not come, which is another way of saying, we're out of wine, Jesus, we're out of wine, and Jesus' response, not time to die. My time has not come. But here is a sign of my time that is to come. And it starts with, take these stone jars. Well, actually, back up. It starts with a wedding. When you think of the kingdom of God, when you think of your relationship with God, one of the ideas that he wants you to have in your mind is of a bride. My wife and I watched Pride and Prejudice this week, the old Jane Austen novel. And if you remember that, in that story, the storyline is that this family with five daughters and they're trying, the whole thing is about just trying to get them married. 
trying to get him married because in that culture, just like in the culture that Jesus was in, just like in the culture of most of the world right now, a woman doesn't have full human rights, didn't have voting rights, can't own property. So a marriage to someone of stature and of nobility was not just a wedding, it was a salvation for that woman. And you can see it throughout scripture. Ruth, I mean, I could go on. He wants you to think of a wedding. He's at a wedding. We're gonna come to a wedding feast of the lamb in Revelation. John wants you to know that a wedding is what he wants you to think. The second thing is he took these ceremonial, stone ceremonial jars. Now I say jars and you think pickle jars, right? We think a jar, like jam. These were not that. These held between 20 to 30 gallons. Now think with me, throughout history, for the most part, it was clay that was used for these ceremonial washing pots, and Leviticus says that if a clay jar is made impure, it has to be smashed. But for this small part of Israel's history, CJ, this may be only 100 years, they were creating stone jars because just like a good Pharisee, we're trying to find a loophole, and the loophole is a stone jar. Even if it's become impure, there's no word, so we don't have to destroy it. So, and they've actually, if we're, we're going to Israel in February, you, actually, you can see the stone quarries where these stone jars have been made. And again, only about 100 year history, history in Jewish history where these stone jars were crafted. And it was hard because it's hard to make stone jars. Ezekiel 36 says, I will take your heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. Paul tells us in Corinthians that you have this treasure in what? Jars of clay. Your body, which by the way, at the end of your life is going to be folded up like a tent and thrown away and something new is going to come out of it. In the picture of a stone jar is this glorious picture of your stone heart inside of a jar of clay, so to speak. Because by the way, there were jars of clay right there that they could have put the wine in. That's what the original wine was in. But he's saying, no, take the stone ones made for ceremonial cleansing, put water into it, Ezekiel 36, 27, and 28. He says, and now I'm going to put my spirit in you, in this heart that I have now made flesh. Do you see the picture that Jesus is painting? They thought he was just making wine. I'm going to put you, the water of the Holy Spirit, John 7, John 4, like over and over and over again, the picture of the Holy Spirit is a picture of water. I'm going to take your stone heart and I'm going to make it flesh. I'm going to take this stone jar. I'm going to fill it with water. Ezekiel, I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit. He wasn't just making wine. He was telling the story of the gospel. You are dismissed. <laughs> what more are you going to say? That's awesome. Because it's true. The stone jars, we're going to fill it with water. Now, fourth, 
He's going to take wine, not just any wine. I'm going to take new wine, the best wine. I'm going to use that wine in you. Throughout the Old Testament, there's this idea of this new wine that is coming. It is then taken over and carried over into the new covenant of this new wine. And it is the best wine, better than the first wine. I'm going to create a new covenant with my people, better than the other covenant. It's so much better. I'm making it now, and it's going to be at the end. Fifth, and listen, man, this, this got me in touch with my Pentecostal roots, and it actually came from a cessationist uh, t- Bible teacher here in town. So it was like, buddy, you're about to get me speaking in tongues, man. This is so exciting. Like, he, listen to this. He, this guy was a caterer before he was a pastor. And here's the math that he did. For a modern day wedding, if you, you got to get enough ranch dressing and you got to get enough wine, okay? And for a party right now, they factor in one drink for every hour for every person there. So if a wedding is on average four hours, you need four glasses per person. If there's about 100 people at your wedding, which is probably how many people there were here, you need 400 glasses of wine. That's about 80 bottles. But look what Jesus did. 20 to 30 gallons, okay, of water. 20 to 30, six stone jars, that's over 600 bottles of wine, and if it was 30 gallons, it's 900 bottles of wine. Five bottles for every gallon, six to 900 bottles, and again, it ain't the two-buck chuck. Like, he did not run down to the store. You know what I'm saying? I think adjusted for inflation, is that 12 buck Chuck? Now, I'm not even sure what it... L- listen, he created enough wine, not just for 100 people, but for thousands of people. He created enough wine that this bridegroom to say to you, look, I got enough wine for this party, for the next party, and for every party for the rest of your life. More than enough. Fill it to the brim because there's more than enough for you. That's the kingdom principle that he's painting here. And it is even deeper than that. So imagine everything I've just described to you and think of the kingdom of God. Think of the gospel. He just took water from a stone jar and made it into wine to extend the party and the celebration into an eternity. Now fast forward with me to the cross and communion. We already spoke about the cup of God's wrath that he drank from. He drank from that cup so that we can drink from this cup. But on the cross, there's a moment right before he is, the last words he's spoken and they have stuck a spear into his side and from his side, blood and water flowed. Do you see where this is going? Water flowed from his side. Isaiah, though your sins be as scarlet, they will be washed white as snow. How do you wash blood with blood? Crimson, you wash it when your blood becomes water. The cross was the reversal of water into wine. The cross is wine into water. He said, take this, this cup is my blood. He specifically talked about wine and connected it to his blood. And by saying that it is his blood, if you've ever had to get a blood stain out, it takes a lot of water, but it can be done. The cross 
He's drinking from it. The water that is coming out of his side, I will wash you whiter than snow. So that, now follow me, see if you can smell what I'm stepping in. So that you and I, who are now filled with the water of the Holy Spirit, John chapter seven, this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, which was yet to come, the living water that would flow from within us. Water's coming in us. And look what comes out of us. Paul, Philippians 2, this is about AD 60, 61. He's in prison. He's not sure if he's getting out this time. And so he says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Not sure, maybe now. Even if. What is a drink offering? In the Old Testament, it's spoken of multiple times. A drink offering was to take wine and you pour it on a sacrifice that is being given and that is symbolic of this wine is for God. And wine as a symbol of celebration. Wine is a symbol of joy. The wine on the sacrifice was the symbolic that God feels joy at your sins being forgiven. It wasn't wasted wine was the wine for God. And on that wine, on that sacrifice, it wasn't wasted. It was, that's, it, so Paul takes that and saying, my life in prison, being persecuted, being beaten and scourged and you know, isolated and marginalized, that, he's, my, that is my life being poured out as a sacrifice. Holy Spirit is coming in and as the Holy Spirit is coming out, if I'm being pressed on every side, and we live in a culture, literally right now, in our Western culture, where more than ever, persecution is coming our way through social media, through social media, some of the companies, through media itself, in our own schools, in our own workplaces, there's a persecution we're experiencing now that we've never experienced before in our culture. And when you're experiencing it, it's not a lot of fun. But that's how the best wine gets made, is when the grapes are getting crushed a little bit, when it's getting squeezed a little bit. Paul, four years later, AD 65, he said, he doesn't wonder anymore, it's no longer if, it's I am, I'm already being poured out as a sacrifice, as a, a drink offering. The water of the Holy Spirit that went into Paul when it was squeezed out by the pressures of this world, by the persecutions that were all around him, when it was squeezed out in that moment, it's no longer water, it is the wine of the Holy Spirit poured out on the sacrifice of you, not for you, but on you, because it is for him. It's, it's the, the idea, the picture is actually incredible. The more you've been persecuted, the more you're being isolated, the more you're being marginalized, your life is being poured into a glass for God. And when you think about that wedding feast of the lamb, that moment, Jesus says, I'm not gonna drink from this cup again until, right? And on that moment, what is the wine in the cup? that God is raising a toast for? You, your life, your wine, that he is celebrating, just like a parent celebrates a kid 
when you, that, you know, you're young guy, young guy, young girl, pushing through, scoring the goal, doing something you didn't think they could do, and they're just dominating. You get so excited, and I've seen some of you, Jenny Teeman, I've seen some of you get fired up when your kids are there. That's God, because listen to what he's saying in 2 Timothy. I've already ran the race. That's the imagery. I've finished it. I've kept the faith. And now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only me, but for all of us who long for his appearing. He's up there like Jenny Teeman on the sideline. Get him, get him. You could do it. You could do it. Get him, get him, get him, get him, get him. Yeah. And a toast to you when you breathe your last breath this side and breathe your next breath on the other side. Maybe, just maybe, there'll be God there with a glass of the wine of your life celebrating a toast to the work, not of you, but of Jesus. Because it was his work that got you there. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, we live in a world right now where that's happening to us. How do I live this out tomorrow? How do I live this out the next day? In a world that is right now built on lies everywhere around us, the greatest act of revolution is to live by truth. This Thursday night, Rod Dreher will be joining us. Rod has uh, written a book called Live Not By Lies. It was a, a series of interviews put together over time of interviewing survivors of communism as it came into Eastern Bloc Europe and one of the interviews is where the title of the book came from. It was like the most chilling thing for me was this older gentleman who said, it wasn't that we had to lie to survive. It was that we had to live as if the lies were true. And the greatest fact of revolution is to live not by lies. This, we have very limited seating. If you go to your church center app, if you don't know church center app, just on your phone search church center. And when you get it downloaded, just search Conduit Church. And here's the beautiful thing. Lots of churches are using this right now. So if you get mad at me and you switch churches, you just have to load the new church in. You don't even have to put a new app in. So just so you know, there is a benefit to it. <laughs> We're just trying to be team players, you know? Limited seating, if you can be there this Thursday night, I'm gonna be interviewing Rod very specifically about very specific things in our context, in our culture. If you're a teacher right now and you're struggling with this, your conscience of how, how do I address someone who is telling me that they have a different pronoun but I'm an anatomy teacher and how do I, like how do I live not by a lie? We're gonna hit a lot of questions this week so if you have a chance to be there, I pray that you can make it, again, limited. We're going to record and we're going to live stream. So if you can't make it, we'll have it here. But this is an opportunity for us to know that living not by a lie means you might be crushed a little bit. And one of the things that the people in these books were saying was that the, what they're concerned about Western culture is we don't have what it takes to face what's coming. Now I say that, and I read that book, and I was like, you've not met my church. <laughs> Y'all don't know what's going to hit you. We are not going to bow and bend to lies. So if you have a chance, this Thursday night, 7 o'clock, I would love to have you. And as you leave, stand to your feet. I've got to get you out of here. The Baptists are already going to beat you to Golden Corral, so I'm sorry. That's on me. <laughs> the... 
But I want you to hear me say this, that Jesus turned water into wine reality and he's turning water into wine in your own life. For those who believe, he gives the power to become the sons of God. He's done that for you this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that we will live not by lies. Lord, that we will recognize just like Paul, what's happening right now, the pressure, the squeezing, the crushing is not It's not fatal. It's you, Lord, in the middle of it. You're not wasting it, turning our lives from water into wine. Would you give us the courage this week as we step out to be reminded to involve you, Jesus, in our lives, to trust you with our lives, and then to watch what you'll do with our lives, knowing that it's not just about the need right in front of us, but the glory that you want to reveal all around us. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.